Success, it has been said, is not the absence of failure, but going from failure to failure without any loss of enthusiasm. This podcast was created to discuss the correlation between short-term failures and future success by those who have pushed themselves to become real powerhouses. Michael Jordan said, to learn to succeed, you must first learn to fail. And Mike Tyson said, discipline is doing what you hate to do, but nonetheless doing it like you love it. On this podcast, we celebrate those who were not afraid to fail by taking disciplined action on their path to success. My name is BJ Gramillion, and I am the host of The Real Powerhouse Podcast. I am someone who is very familiar with failure and am fascinated by others' imperfect journey to success. Welcome to The Real Powerhouse Podcast. Welcome to The Real Powerhouse Podcast. I'm your host, BJ Gramillion, and today I have my good friend, Mark Gillator with us. Uh, Mark, I know him from The Collective Genius, and um, he is a great friend, mentor of mine, and I look up to him. Uh, maybe not physically, but I do look up to him uh, in every other way. So, Mark, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Matt. The short joke right off the bat. Do I come back with the with the hair, the yeah. hair jokes? Or? <laughs> it's all free game. Absolutely. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, no, good to be here, mate. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, absolutely. So, Mark is in Dallas right now at a conference, um, and uh, he was generous enough to to text me last night and said that he was going to make it happen. So. Uh, can't thank you enough. I know that you're a busy guy, but um, Mark, I, I want to jump right in. I know people probably noticed the accent right away and, and they're like, okay, where's this guy from? So maybe tell us uh, where you're from, some of your background, family and all that fun stuff. Sure. Um, yeah. Born and raised in New Zealand, um, born in Christchurch in the South Island. And then at the age of eight, uh, moved up to Auckland, which is uh, the big city um, at the time had about a million people. I think there are over 2 million now, but there's only 5 million people in New Zealand. So when you grow up in New Zealand, you're kind of taught at a young age um, or you realize at a young age, at least that um, New Zealand's a very small place and you start looking outwardly. You start looking at the rest of the world as as options. Um, I was a pretty decent tennis player, um, nationally ranked and, and had the uh, option to come over to the United States on an athletic scholarship. So straight out of high school, um, got a scholarship to the University of Missouri in Kansas City and um, had a great uh, five years there. I was in an accelerated MBA program, so I got my undergrad and my MBA in just five years. Wow. And, um, and then while I was getting my MBA, um, flipped a house. And kind of after that, it was um, off to the races. I've never really had a, a J-O-B. I've always just kind of done my own thing. So... Um, I don't know if you want to call me a serial entrepreneur. I'm really just a, a guy that kind of, you know, didn't like working for other people or and tried tried my own thing. Yeah, I think we're cut from the same cloth in that regard. Um, but yeah, the the, the New Zealand um, aspect of so so Mark he is he is he has a lot of talents. Uh, and and the more that I get to know him, the more I'm like, oh, really? You do that too? And and he doesn't just do it. He typically does it at a very high level. Uh, Mark never does anything, you know, halfway. And so, um, so I know that you mentioned that, uh, you know, tennis, you've not brought up the fact that you're also an incredible golfer, uh, from what I hear, cause I don't play golf. Um, but, uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about your, uh, your, your golf game. Yeah, I was, um, you know, didn't really play growing up. My father did, and he obviously introduced me to it. So, you know, I'd swung a club and I could, you know, shoot 100, um, but I never really played, played. And then going through college, um, it was, um, 
my relationships with the college golf guys on the college golf team um, that really kind of spurred my interest. And um, tennis and golf um, translate way better than baseball to golf. Um, my son's a great baseball player, but finishes on his right leg, whereas golf, you meant to finish on your left with the weight transfer. And it's very similar to the forehand stroke of a tennis uh, forehand. So um, it came pretty naturally to me. I got to be a scratch golfer in a couple of years. And, and uh, once you get down, it, you don't really go back up. So I enjoy it, um, play you know, a couple times a week if I can. Um, and uh, yeah, recently put a, a simulator in my house um, because in, in Kansas City, um, it is uh, extremely cold and, and not golf weather for about four or five months of the year. So now I get to play year round, which is kind of fun. Man, that's so cool. And then uh, how many kids do you have again? I have two. We went boy, girl, stop. Um, my daughter likes to say once we got perfection, we just stopped. Um, but yeah, we um, Jackson is now 17. Aubrey's about to turn 15. Um, so he's mad keen on baseball. Aubrey um, is just loves life. Um, she's into volleyball and and has great friendships. And, and uh, yeah, it's it's a fun time. That's awesome. And then, uh, yeah, the other, the other thing that I thought was super interesting, too, I know with your family, you mentioned that your brother... I believe it is, uh, is an actor, correct? Yes, my youngest brother, you know, I don't know if you've read, I'd encourage, uh, I know a lot of your audience will be book readers. One of the fun ones for me, um, kind of a non-business book that I read one time was called The Birth Order Book by Dr. Kevin Lehman. And um, it talks about, and BJ, you have a big family. It'll be interesting for you to kind of, um, you know, go through and see your children's traits as well as how you fit into it with your siblings. But um, you know, it was, we, we played out one to, I'm number two of four, the classic middle child, always wanting to keep up with my older brother, you know, aggressive go-getter, um, you know, doesn't take no for an answer kind of thing. Always just trying to, you know, good is never good enough. And, and the, my younger brother, um, the actor, um, was, you know, kind of, if you look down the Hollywood who's who, I think Brad Pitt, Al Pacino, uh, Robert De Niro, like all those guys, Jim Carrey, all of the the flamboyant actors are typically um, youngest born um, because wow. to get the attention of their family and everything, you know, they're having to be creative and, and think, you know, more with their, their artistic uh, side. And so he was the one that made us all laugh and, and cry and, and just a happy-go-lucky kid. Um, and he just had a passion for acting at a very young age. He was on stage. My parents actually, um, I haven't really talked about this before. My parents were, were uh, amateur actors. They um, performed at a, um, at just a local, um, uh, you know, like a Broadway style stage production at a very small scale, just in the local community. Yeah. Um, I remember my father being um, Lancelot and Camelot, and we would go along and watch his shows and productions and um, they did My Fair Lady and The Pajama Game and all these Broadway shows. And so I think my youngest brother pretty, you know, obviously got inspired by that. And he started going in stage productions at a young age. And obviously that then translated to a scholarship. Um, he was the lead in his high school, um, act, you know, dramatic um, shows and then went, got into scholarship to New York um, and came over to AMDA, which is the American Musical and Dramatic Academy. Um, and from there, he was able to parlay that into some pretty good success and both on um, TV and in film. Wow. Yeah, guys. So, so Mark is clearly, he's got an amazing family, amazing background. Um, and uh, you know, it's interesting because um, last year was, was kind of a, a wild year for a lot of us in real estate. Um, there weren't a whole lot of people that were spared, you know um, it, and it's, I think that it was well-deserved. I think that uh, a lot of us were on our high horses after 2021 
uh, being one of the greatest years of all time as far as it just popping like crazy. And it seemed like all of us were these geniuses making money hand over fist. And then, you know, um, the market has a way of humbling us, you know, fairly quickly. And so it, it definitely um, did that to me and in, in my business. And so um, the thing that I love about the collective genius is that it's this family of, you know, like minded individuals that are um, just working to improve uh, in their life and in, and in business. And so um, one of the connections that I made uh, with was with Mark and and uh, at the time I was kind of trying to figure out what to do next because uh, clearly Arizona was heading the wrong direction. Uh, what we were doing was not going to be working moving forward just because of the market and some other things. And so um, I looked at him and uh, he was kind enough, you know, he came out with me uh, for a bit in Chattanooga um, and I got to see kind of firsthand um, the way that he operates, the way that he carries himself. And then um, he started filling me in more and more on what his business model is and what he does. And so if anyone ever asked me, you know, like, why did you get into the turnkey business? Um, without fail, I'll, I'll always say it really was a collective genius. More specifically, it was Mark and Jimmy that really um, were kind of the catalyst. To, and, and they kind of gave me that push um, to, to go all in on it. Um, and so for those people that are not familiar with the, uh, turnkey business in real estate, um, maybe fill us in on, uh, what that model is, uh, you're in Kansas city. And so maybe tell us about like how you fell into the, the turnkey model and, and how you got started. Um, okay. Let me first start off with what, how, what I believe about turnkey and then I'll kind of get into, you know, how I got into it, but, um, turnkey real estate is really the introduction of real estate as an alternative investment to the stock market. Um, for the longest time, I think the real estate industry has done a really poor job of catering to, um, you know, high income, high net worth individuals. Um, well, everybody, but I mean, my niche is kind of high income, high net worth individuals that, that could easily afford to get into real estate, but are choosing not to um, because it's a hassle. And they hear all the stories of, oh, I don't want to, you know, deal with tenants and trash and, and um, you know, evictions and, and non-payments and all that kind of thing. Um, a turnkey operation is someone who not just sells you a property um, as an investment property, but then manages it on the back end to maximum efficiency um, for that investor. So the idea would be um, you can have investors from, well, really anywhere in the world that are interested in buying um, cash flow real estate. And all they have to do is give you some capital or take a loan out and put some money down and then uh, we sell them an asset and manage it on the back end um, so that they can, you know, basically build a portfolio of, of wealth producing assets um, that are in their name. A lot of people kind of default to multifamily syndications as a way to invest in real estate. The only which we've obviously done that as well. It's certainly one tranche. But um, the negative to that is that you're very much you're not an equity investor, you're a debt investor. And you can just basically, although you get a share in the equity upside, um, at the end of the day, you have no control. The manager can sell that asset at any given time. They can um, then just pay you off. You earn some interest and you have to pay tax on it and you're, you're back in looking to deploy some capital again. The beauty of turnkey real estate is that you own the asset. You get the benefits of depreciation. You get the benefits of the appreciation um, and the cash flow all the way through. So, um, you know, the pitfalls of turnkey are if you don't have a good property manager. Property management controls the two big killers of cash flow, which are vacancy and maintenance. 
and that truly will determine the success and viability of that asset. So um, we have just doubled down and really focused heavily on property management to make sure that we're managing our assets to be highly efficient. And uh, we've had good success at that. Man, yeah, well said. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's so interesting because um, getting into it, to your point, um, I, I, in Arizona, it was very difficult to find properties that, that uh, cash flowed. It, it just, they were hard to find. The market has just appreciated so much, so crazy. I call Arizona California 2.0 or, Arizona, you know, yeah. California light. And so, you know, we had to start looking elsewhere. That's when we started looking at markets like Alabama. Uh, we invested some home in some homes out there, about 20 or 30 homes over there. And then we also did it in Michigan. And really, we were just, you know, drawn to it because of the, the you know, cap rate. And it was yeah. pretty wild. Land is cheaper. It right? was wild. So easier yeah, to make your investment. That's yeah. it. Like, I mean, you, you could buy homes for $30,000, dollars $50,000. They would rent for six, seven, eight hundred dollars so we're like, yeah, that's a no brainer. But then to your point, um, it really comes down to property management. So when you get these turnkey companies, they use that term very loosely and it's uh, interpreted very differently um, yeah. by many. And, and so when someone says they're a turnkey operator, you, you kind of have to take that with a grain of salt because you just never know until you get into it. And really it all comes down to, okay, how do they manage it? Um, and for us, or do they manage it or do, do they just have a preferred vendor that may just say, you know, there's a ton of turnkey providers out there that all they do is they're a deal aggregator where they, um, will just introduce you to someone like me. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, and then there are people that will sell you an asset and then have a third party vendor manage it for them. But there's just, you know, at that point, the property manager has no skin in the game and they're really not incentivized to do anything other than, um, you know, you know, make fees off of the the new owner that um, that has come into play. So, yeah, yeah there's there's. Um, uh, I will step back also, BJ. You asked me how I got into it. I think it's fair to kind of talk yeah. through that story, and it also leads into a kind of a story of heartache, right? Um, but mm -hmm. I went through a bad business divorce in um, 2009, and it was kind of preempted by the global financial crisis that really crushed real estate. Yeah. And so when I lost everything, which is another story, if you want to go into that, we can. But um, I literally was back to nothing. Millionaire by the time I'm 30, uh, broke by the time I'm 31. Um, you know, really, really tough time. Mm. Um, and banks were not lending at the time. And so I needed to go. I had a really good business um, and a business operation. In fact, all my employees, um, you know, stayed. My rehab guys stayed with me and everything. Mm. Um, but we needed a way to be able to continue to operate. And so I started doing it for other people. Um, and saying, you know, we'd go to buddies that had not had a, a big hit through the GFC that were still doing really well. They had a lot of cash to deploy. And I said, hey, look, you know, real estate's on sale, 50% off. Let's go get as much as we can. And we did. We really um, cleaned up. There were tons of foreclosures. And that was kind of my niche was buying on the courthouse steps. So I just got super fortunate to be in the right place at the right time. And we started buying for other people um, and buying and holding. It really wasn't a great time to flip, but it was a great time to buy and hold. And if the banks weren't lending, you had to come up with cash. And so uh, we were paying with cash. We were buying a lot of inventory, rehabbing. And we started doing about 100 homes a year pretty early on there and um, scaled that operation um, and buy bought for other people. But then on the back end, um, we were obviously managing it um, to you know the highest of standards that, that we could do at the time um, and you know making sure that, that those properties would stay you know positively cash flowing. So that's kind of how we got into it was out of necessity mm -hmm. um, because I was a real estate guy. I wasn't going to just pack it all in and go say, okay, I might as well go get a job. 
Um, I just turned around and, and tried to figure a way to get through this downturn when um, banks were not lending on real estate. Yeah. And I, and I know that you, you, you kind of glanced over the, the fact that, okay, that's, that's a big deal, right? Like you're a millionaire at 30, 31, you know, lost it. And, and so maybe uh, take us back to that. Like what happened? Uh, what were some of the pitfalls that, that I, obviously, you know, the, the market did crash. Um, but what else went into that? What type of business were you running prior to the crash? And then, and then how did you adjust and change things after that to make sure that didn't happen again? Yeah, the irony with mine is that we're actually primed for um, the best run ever. It was not a business failure. It was a hostile takeover. Um, so I got a lesson very early on and there was a three way partnership. So a third, a third, a third. Um, I had structured um, the legal documents. I, it was my idea, it was my brainchild. Uh, these two guys came in as quote unquote silent business partners. Um, and they just provided some capital so we could go buy as much as we wanted. And we scaled that operation up to where we had, I don't know, about 120 rentals and, um, and most of them were paid off. Um, well, I shouldn't say most, um, I think a third of them were paid off and they were highly cash flowing. Um, and then when, um, the GFC hit, they kind of panicked and still to this day, honestly, don't quite know, um, why other than greed. Um, but I walked into a, you know, a regular monthly meeting one day and there were two extra suits in the room and, um, they proceeded to call the meeting to order and very, um, in parliamentary style, um, you know, all those in favor, I, of voting mark out of management, managerial. Did they really? Oh yeah. Of LLC number one, I, I, nay, two versus one, the vote is passed, all vote. And then they voted themselves into managerial capacity. They gave themselves super high salaries and then um, increased the interest rate that they were paying themselves. Um, so it was this crazy takeover um, that just forced me out where it was suddenly and the way you do that, because you can't just take shares away. So the way that you do a hostile takeover is they gang up on the on the smaller partner. So it was suddenly two versus one and they voted um, themselves to have big salaries. They voted themselves to pay them um, in really high interest that obviously put money in and there was money that was owed and we were paying prime at the time, which is 2.75 on their money. Um, but now they raised that to 12.75 um, on a couple million dollars. So the bleeding, the, the intentionally bleeding the company of cash. And then they'd say, hey, here we go. Uh, we were short on cash, capital call everybody. You're gonna get diluted if you don't put money in. And so I could see where this was going. And so I spoke to an attorney, I gave the name of the people I was dealing with and he's like, ooh, um, they have unlimited capital. So you're going to be in a fight for years and years and years. Do you really want to go through that? Um, and I got a lesson in, um, you know, how not to structure or how to protect yourself um, when you are an operator of an LLC. So yeah, it was brutal. Um, obviously, I just signed away. Oh, the other thing that really irritated me was that they took over um, control and then quit paying. There was only five mortgages out of like 75 that I was the only signer on and they quit paying those five mortgages. So suddenly now, not only am I forced to run a business that I have no control over, I'm now, um, and this is back in the day, remember in 2005, you could get a loan and the name and, and um, even if it was in the name of an LLC, you just, yeah. you know, take the loan out. And so now I had the, the properties were in the name of the LLC, but the loan, there were five loans that were just in my name. And weirdly, those were the only five mortgages that didn't get paid. Um, so suddenly I was about to have my credit get dinged and I just said, you know what, I'm done. I want to move on. I want to get a fresh start. So I just took um, the painful 
broke high road and said, I'll go start all over and, and do it all over again. So ever since wow. then, I've been um, kind of scarred. And so you, you walk away. I mean, if, if you take those properties today, um, they would easily be a $20 million portfolio. And I had a third ownership of it and um, just ripped away from me, plus the salary that I was you know getting paid out of the entity and all that. So literally just ripped down to nothing. And suddenly it's like, okay, Mark's got to go um, roll his socks up and, and tuck his shirt in and get back to work. And um, the p most painful thing, BJ, was trying to explain that to my nurse wife that didn't understand um, with a two-year-old and, and uh, her pregnant, why all of a sudden we were uh, actually, no, three-year-old and one-year-old at the time, um, why all of a sudden we were, were down and out. And she's like, but that's not fair. I'm like, yeah, honey, fair doesn't sometimes come into it. It's what, you know, they, they have deeper pockets. They are extremely wealthy. They'll draw it out forever. They'll suck me dry. I don't have the capital to, to chase, you know, and, and pay an attorney that wanted a retainer of 25 grand. It would have just been a, a nightmare. So, but hey, look, I, all things, I don't want it wow. to be turned into a woe is me. Um, everything happens for a reason. And I was blessed um, for that to happen early on in my career um, so that I could turn the ship around and, um, you know, go in a different direction. Um, the irony is they never bought another asset. They held on to those assets for a long, long time. Um, and uh, they still own those assets to this day. Um, but I was, um, yeah, just able to go off and do my own thing and, and maintain control. Man, that is one of the like most brutal uh, breakups that I've ever <laughs> I've ever heard of. Just the way that they went about it, the way that they handled it all the way through. I mean, that is just cold. You know, I think a lot of people that are in business, they even if they're very wealthy, at least the ones that, the people that I've come across typically still at least have a heart. Um, that seemed pretty ruthless. Like that was cutthroat um very yeah on. and Never. so it, it took a while for me to forgive them but then you know um yeah part of my faith is understanding that um hurt people hurt people and i knew that they were going through a rough time one guy had just lost his job and i think he was acting out of fear and and uh um yeah the, and they were best friends so that kind of didn't help me in that respect although ironically i was you know very close with them obviously we'd been in business for seven years together and we'd babysat their kids and we'd gone on vacations together i mean this is not you know a it wasn't an ugly partnership until that time um but people do people act out of fear and i but the other thing is resentment towards them would only hurt me like i think they wouldn't care they were done i signed away my rights so they're like sweet now we've got all the housing let's go figure that out they were on to their next they weren't going to think about me anymore so the resentment in my heart was only going to to uh you know hurt me and so it took you know a couple of years for me to start you know really forgetting and forgiving but um you know i've been blessed in so many ways bj um and with the, the growth of my business and you know things that fell onto my lap and partnerships that i've had and people i've met um, that would never have happened um, if I was still in a, a you know, a three-way partnership. I don't think I would have been able, they probably wouldn't have said, yeah, go join a mastermind, right? They would have, you know, I would have missed out on, on meeting all the people inside CG if they um, chose to not go through that. So um, everything happens for a reason. Um, I'm, I'm blessed where I'm at today and, and happy to have moved on. Yeah. And I mean, you're in such a better spot in that. And I'm sure every single way that you can think of and it and it ends up being this amazing blessing. But I'm just curious, how long did it take you? OK, after that happened and they just said, OK, you're out. You decided, yep, uh, this doesn't make sense to fight. I'm, I'm throwing in the towel. I'm out. How long did it take you to pick yourself up and uh, go on to the next thing? 
I didn't dwell. Um, I didn't forgive them immediately. It took me a long time to forgive them and to, and to move on. But um, yeah, there was tears shed for sure. I mean, it was brutal. Um, and it was <laughs> New, Year's, New Year's Eve when I had to sign the docs. So I'm literally, so this is something I'll never forget. I'm going, I went to the office, um, again, my office, because they never had any physical uh, operation activity at all. It was just me and, and my team. But I went, drove to my office on New Year's Eve, 1231 of 08 and um and had to sign away the docs and fax the, the back to them or scan email i think it was faxing at the time um the documents that that rescinded my rights and i get back in the car and like just just defeated like i cannot believe that i just had to do what i just did just gave up seven years of my life gave up you know 15 million in assets i mean i just was like what am i doing turn the radio on and there's a jason derillo song on there called um solo um, and I won't break out the words, but it said something along, you know, you're, huh? Please do. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, it no, it's like, you know, you're flying solo and you're off on your own and, and, you know, forget what's gone on. And, and so that's kind of, it was like, gosh, like, how can that song come on with tears <laughs> just running down my face when I'm leaving the office after the worst day of my life? Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, but after that, I'm just straight back into, all right, let me go back to the courthouse steps because there's a ton of action. And so I was straight back into it to try and go find deals. And I mean, you know, my strength at the time was I was just a deal monger. I just had a really good process for buying houses cheap on the courthouse steps. And we were, you know, we were in the, the heyday of foreclosures uh, looking back. And so I was blessed that there was just tons of opportunity. Um, they never came to compete because they didn't know what to do. They had no operational um, say in the company. So they were just money guys. So they just sat on that portfolio. So I was effectively had free reign to go build it back up again. And now I just had to do it slowly. I find it ironic, you know, as a general statement here that when Walmart has a sale, BJ, and it's like 50% off, everyone goes rushing. Mm -hmm. But in 2010, real estate was 50% off pretty much across America. And everyone's like, oh my gosh, I would never buy real estate. I would never buy real estate. And I was just young enough and dumb enough and hungry enough to say, you know what? I think this will work out okay. Yeah. Oh man, so many lessons to learn from that. And and I think it's important for everyone that is listening to 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 look at okay, fear does some interesting things. Um and it makes people act a lot of times irrationally. Um and if you just take a minute to just process and think through um a lot of times you're going to make a much better decision and I'm sure that those guys regret obviously, you know, making that decision because if you think about the amount of wealth that you've been able to create uh, since 2008 up until now, the amount of homes that you've purchased and, and where you are now compared to where you were then, I mean, they, they left a significant um, opportunity um, right in front of them to have this incredible operator. And it's also interesting to me that I think a lot of times we don't realize how good we have it. Um, and so sometimes we take people in our lives for granted. Um, and, and again, unfortunately, if you go that route, you won't find out until uh, later on, and it's going to be painful. And, and, uh, but I love your attitude of look next day. Uh, that was, that was difficult. I cried. It was frustrating, but you know what? I knew it. I trusted in myself. I went to the courthouse. I knew what I was good at. I leaned into it. And then here you are now, uh, with how many doors, uh, since then have you been able to, uh, or homes have you been able to purchase and how many homes do you currently have under property management? 
so we did um 250 with those guys and we've now done over 2000 so i think i've done you know close to you know 1800 doors post that business breakup wow that's wild that's what you guys mark operates um at a crazy clip um at a very high level so a lot of people think yeah it'd be nice to do a fix and flip here and there or it'd be nice to have a turnkey operation uh mark doesn't just do that. He he uh, has found a way uh, through operations, um, you know, and and he's he's obviously tapped into personnel and, and the team and the culture and all those things to be able to run. How many doors did you or or how many homes did you guys end up flipping last year, for example? Oh, so that that's a, that's another sore, <laughs> that's another sore point, right? Like you've been getting your teeth kicked in. Yeah. Um, and last year was brutal. Um, yeah, since um, interest rates soared and investor demand waned, and um, mm -hmm. even uh, on the open market, retail sales were down incredibly last year with the rising interest rates. Uh, we got caught in that um, that shift in the market in a meaningful way. Um, I woke up in August of 22 with 147 assets on the books at a time. Um, we normally we were scaling up to do around 200 houses a year, uh, remodeling all of those homes. And um, suddenly I'm like my CFO at the time was like, Mark, you need to take action. This is a balance sheet exercise. This is not about the P&L and business owners will understand what I mean by that. This is not about, you know, the um, just trying to make money on every asset. This is about getting lean. Um, you know, that 147 assets, we peaked at around 16 million in debt. And, you know, we didn't know if we would be, have to hold those forever, if we we're going to be able to flip them or what that looked like. And so we just had this big scalping of the balance sheet where we um, just slashed um, inventory at all costs. And so, mm -hmm. you know, when you own a lot of real estate and you make the decision that you have to sell, there's pretty much one lever you get to pull. BJ, do you know what that is? <laughs> sell, it's sell, sell. Right. Yep, price. So, yep. The only thing you can do is, is drop price. And so when the lever yep. is price, you drop price and you sell, 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 sell. So, um, you know, we made made out really well on some and we lost our tail on another on others. And Q3, Q4 was brutal for us uh, from a P&L perspective, but really proud to say, um, you know, we put a rallying cry out to the team and um, we went from 147 assets. We had these shirts made up. It said chasing 90 like we had to of all all costs, we had to get down to 90 assets on the books by end of year. And no one, no one outside of the company really knew what chasing 90 even meant. Like, are you trying to, you know, get to, you know, 90 homes this year? I'm like, no, we're trying to sell down to 90 this year. Um, so we chased 90, we got down to 77 by year end, um, outperformed greatly. And then we we're able to get down now where I think we only have 24 assets on the books um, right now that we're currently rehabbing. And that's a pretty comfortable spot for us to be. So we'll probably continue to hover somewhere in that neighborhood of flipping, you know, 50 or 60 doors a year. Um, and then obviously the balance of those we've really opened up um, novations and wholesale as kind of an exit strategy, which we had not had before. Um, and so that's going to be um, a big part of what we do. And obviously the biggest um, again, I love diversification. I like the, what the diversity that the real estate can give us one of the strengths or um things that got me through this time period of losing all that money was that our new construction um, has gone really really well um so we started using that as our turnkey operation selling our investors 
obviously some of the um, the assets that we had to sell, it wasn't just sell them all. If they're rehabbed, we'd sell the single family homes to our investor base. Um, but the single family duplexes and fourplexes have been amazing and really well received in the community. And so that's been a kind of a shining star for us over the past 12 months is, is being able to, to sell that inventory. And that's something that we're going to lean into. So moving forward, it probably looks like you know, 100 to 200 new construction doors every year. Um, and we can really scale that because we partner with builders to, to get that done. We'll probably flip, you know, 50 or 60 homes just quietly and comfortably ourselves, which is super easy when you've done gone it scaled up to 200. And then obviously wholesale and Novate, you know, as many as we can, maybe 100 a year. So now we have line of sight to get back up to, you know, 400 transactions a year, but way, way, way more under control than, you know, the trying to rehab and fix and flip everything. Yeah. Yeah. You, you made a comment. It, it was more about the balance sheet than it was the, the P and L maybe expand a little bit on what that means. Yeah. Well, the, the P and L says um, how well you're operating, but the balance sheet really talks to the health of your organization and your staying power. And so um, the balance sheet is your assets and, and cash um, as the big thing. And then your liabilities, what is causing you, you know, to, to keep money when you have um, we, we talk about velocity of capital, um, a lot. And that is cycling your balance sheet. It's, it's taking an asset that you buy and then selling it, um, you know, and getting it out the other end. Um, and I say an asset, I mean, technically, when you buy a house, it's a liability until such time that you actually can um, sell it on the back end. So, um, you know, we wanted to make sure we cycled our capital really quickly from acquisition through the remodel process, um, getting it rented out, getting it sold, or if we were flipping it retail, which we were doing a little bit back then, um, then we would, you know, buy rehab, stick it on the market and sell it. And we had to accelerate that and really increase the velocity of capital. Um, the balance sheet can get bogged down. And if you have too many assets that are, you know, with taxes and insurance and interest costs and expense of carrying costs, if you hold them too long, they're just an absolute burden and it eats into your margins in a meaningful way. We went back and looked at our performance in 22 and it really wasn't so much that we bought incorrectly. We still bought houses that were really strong. We rehabbed them adequately, probably overinflated um, just because, you know, labor and materials went up so significantly during COVID. Um, but the biggest thing was that our carrying costs more than doubled. We were holding assets way too long. The interest rates went up and eat us and just beat it to us in a meaningful way. So, you know, we had this massive impact on our um PL, but it was really affected by holding assets too long on the balance sheet. Man. Yeah, it, it's funny. I think that so many people look at entrepreneurship and starting a business, they think, oh man, that'd be so much fun. Look at all the freedom. You know, these guys get to just enjoy life. And it's it's like, okay, that right there, what you just explained, um, is a matter of life and death almost, right? For yeah. for your business, especially when you scale, you get to that point. Um, yeah, you can uh you can go out of business fairly quickly if you're not willing to pivot and pivot hard. Sometimes it necessitates to your point. Uh, look, guys, we are sell, sell, sell. Like, like, let's get and I love that you guys had that mantra that team rallied. Clearly, it worked. You know, there there was, a, um, I'm sure the, the cultural cultural aspect to that as well, where you got everyone behind one cause. Everyone knew what their job was. And uh, you guys were able to survive. And not only that, but now you through all of that, found another business model that's going to work well for you uh, to continue with your turnkey business because everyone is complaining right now, hey, there's no inventory and, yeah. and interest rates and it's so difficult. And then there's Mark over here that says, 
yeah, you're right. All of those things are true, but you know what? This is what we're going to do. We're going to pivot. We're going to go new construction heavy. We haven't done that in the past. Um, and now it's going to be a big portion of your income and of your business model. And that wouldn't have happened had we not gone through this crazy downturn. So once again, what people would take as like a negative, you had to quickly figure out how to turn that into a positive. And that's in a nutshell, that's the the difference between those people that are successful in business and those people that are not. And so super well, cool. That, um, yeah, that, is, Hepper, yeah, go that ahead. is entrepreneurship, right? I mean, at the end of the day, you are, you know, it's you versus the world and you've got to have a team that rallies around. But, um, you know, pivoting and looking for the, the opportunities, um, if I may, I'll give you one final input on where I see the market yeah. right now, because you know, one of the challenges yeah, that builders are facing right now, and the reason that we're we're moving towards a new construction is I look at the industry and say, man, builders must be freaking out right now. New construction builders that are building homes are in a real tough place where, um, yes, there's a scarcity of inventory and we need more homes, but, you know, banks are probably going to regress and, and um, not land as aggressively because they're in, in a weird time. Inflation is running rampant. Um, the cost to build a home is more, the land is more to build. So, you know, you can't build spec, it has to be custom. And who wants to go build a custom home right now with 7% interest rates on the back end? So my thought there is, okay, builders are going to struggle. How about if I went to a builder and said, hey, your single family subdivision you're building, do you have any multifamily planned in there? Yeah, yeah, maybe on the back end, we're going to do some duplexes. Well, how powerful would it be for you to walk into the bank and say, you have a contract for all 14 duplexes right now? And he's like, how could you do that? I said, well, we have investors that are looking for a multifamily right now that are really interested in, in getting in, but they're struggling with inventory. But if you could build all, I can sign a contract right now and I'll take all 14 duplexes as soon as you have certificate of occupancy will close within 60 days from CFO. And suddenly it's just like light bulb goes on, super excited. And that's our model moving forward is to try and work with builders that um, can appreciate and respect what we bring to the table, because I think the strength here at SBD is that we have investors that are well educated. They understand the market cycles. They understand now is a good time. They understand multifamily is a good hedge against, um, you know, good good bet when you're doing residential uh, real estate. And then, secondarily, um, you know, we have uh, you know systems and process and procedures of on the property management side that make our you know the management of those assets at a very high level. We can take this group of duplexes, form an HOA, run that HOA, um, get the properties rented, hold the tenants accountable, make sure we manage it to a 98% occupancy rate um, with good collections. And those are the benefits that we bring to the table. So we're kind of eliminating the sales uh, dilemma on the back end of like, if I build this, will it sell? We guarantee the sale, we put it in the property management, and then obviously we're building that beautiful nest egg um, that is you know, the residual income of property management. So smart. And you just shortcutted the thing that people might miss in what you just did there was you didn't go out and say, oh, let's build a team of contractors and let's figure out how to build them and do the permits and do all that stuff. You went directly to the builder that already is good at it. They're already doing it. They already have the permit. Yeah. They're already doing it. And you just said, hey, look, let's let's work together. Um, and and I think we can, this is a win-win for, for both of us. And boom, right there, you're, you're in business. You didn't have to go out and start you know, this whole new arm of your business. So no, I think who not how was a, was a revelation to me, right? When you read that book, you realize that you should stop asking, how can I become a new builder? Or what do I have to do to become good at new construction? And you start thinking, who could I partner with that would value what I bring to the table and is a really good 
uh, builder that would build what we want. And I think when you start thinking who, not how, um, it changes the game and suddenly you're, you know, the, the thought process is more about surrounding yourself with like-minded individuals that you can get along with and have a good time with. But yeah, would look, could I be a new construction builder? Sure. You know, I mean, we've obviously got all the people in place, but it would to actually pivot and do that full time would be such a lift. I mean, it'll probably take me 10 years of, you know, painstaking mistakes to try and get to that next level. And I just feel like, why not take the guy, the builder who's had 20 or 30 years of, of pain and mistakes so that he doesn't do it. He has the contacts. We can work together and, and um, you know, and really work in synergy um, to, to get a good result. Love it. And you know what? You're probably the third or fourth person that I've had on the show that's mentioned who, not how. Uh, so if anyone has not read that book, highly recommend it. Um, we had him come speak to us. Uh, did you line that up, by the way? What, was that you that lined him up as a speaker at CG? Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, that Dr. Was so ben Hardy awesome. who wrote the book with, um, Dan Sullivan. Yeah, man. I learned, I could not write fast enough. I should have just recorded the whole thing and had AI translated or something for me because I just, I was just in the zone locked in. Um, so if any of you have not read any, any, any of his books, he's got several of them. Uh, and, and so I would highly recommend him. And in fact, that's one of the, uh, questions that I ask at the end of all the podcasts is, you know, name one of the books you've read recently that's impacted you this year or, or in your business. Um, another question that I ask, uh, that we've already talked about is name an impactful year that you've had. And I think that, uh, 2008 for sure was, was a, was a big one for you, uh, for many reasons. But then, um, the other question that I want to ask just to wrap things up, um, if you were able to go back, uh, let's say 10 years from now, or let's say back to, yeah, whatever, 2008, knowing what you know now, uh, what would you give yourself um, advice for? Like what what's a big piece of uh, wisdom that, that you've learned over the years? Buy and hold. I wish I had have held more. And I own a lot of real estate, as you know, BJ, but um, man, um, if I had have held a massive portfolio, that you could then sell to one of the hedge um, or hold for that matter why sell um but knowing how the uh, hedge funds came into the single family game in a meaningful way um i didn't see that coming um real estate has been such a fragmented business for a long time the reason i was getting deal after deal after deal on the courthouse steps is because it was a broken you know uh process um they literally publish um a legal um notice in a newspaper I mean, who reads a newspaper um, that then um, mm -hmm. you had to go to the courthouse to pull down some microfiche. Um, they didn't put an address on the property, only a legal description. You had to kind of scrape. You almost had to skip trace to get a, a property address from the legal description that was that was there. So putting all these things into place and then you had to be physically present on the courthouse steps at a given time to pay cash um, and wire transfer same day um, this money. So this broken process that was allowing, you know, forcing these banks to sell at a discount, uh, man, I just would have bought more and more and more and more. I just was not nervous, but I just, you know, you're young and you don't, you know, you think real estate is going to go up in value, but I, there was, you know, I only had history books to tell me that was the case. I'd always heard, you know, you, you talk to old gray haired individuals that say I bought my house for $20,000 and now it's worth, you know, 200 and they can't believe it. But I should have just taken that to the bank earlier and realized that no matter what you buy, time heals all wounds. There are many times that I bought a house that I'm like, oh, my gosh, it has termites or, oh, it has foundation issues. 
But if you just fix it, even if you're in for market value at the end of the day and you feel like you've got no equity, time heals all wounds and you will have a ton of equity if you just wait it out. So I probably would have just reminded myself, hey, even the houses that you think are a bad buy right now and you're laughing at the guy in the courthouse because he paid too much for it, you should have outbid him. You should have raised your hand a few more times and held on to more assets. Spoken like a true turnkey operator right there. Uh, definitely believes in what he does. And uh, that for sure has been my my lesson learned looking back. Man, I wish I would have held on to a lot more assets. And, and I think one of the things that you coined, I don't know if you got it from someone else, but real estate is better bought, never sold. Um, could not agree with that anymore. I've used that so many on so many different occasions talking to investors. It's just, hey, give it time. And uh, it's an ATM. And uh, real estate, it really is the unicorn investment out there. And so I know that you and I both believe that. And we're fortunate to be in this industry. And uh, Mark, this has been a blast. I really appreciate you taking time on your busy schedule. And hopefully we can do this again sometime soon. It's my pleasure, BJ. Thanks, mate. Have you wanted to get into real estate investing, but we're not sure where to start? We are launching our seven-week investor bootcamp starting in July of 2023 that will provide you with the meat and potatoes of how to begin or scale your real estate portfolio. You will learn about how to find deals, underwrite, value, remodel, and finance properties, along with learning all of the exit strategies that will help you to maximize your return all while keeping your day job and investing on the side. First 10 people to register will get in. Look forward to working with you. Thank you for making us a part of your day. I hope you feel more inspired to push through your short-term failures as you work on becoming a true powerhouse. If you enjoyed listening to the show and feel others would benefit from listening as well, please take a couple of minutes to rate and review the show and make sure to share the link with others. See you next week.